Hi, I'm Harrison. And I'm Alex. And this is Dream a Little Deeper, a critical retrospective on the Walt Disney Animation Studios films. Today, we're talking about Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros. So during last episode's history section, I mentioned that considering Dumbo's success as a simply made animated film and the Walt Disney Company's financial hardships, it would make more sense for the company to move toward a production model that would help maintain financial stability. But animators were already working on Bambi, an artistically ambitious film. So they went through with that project and ultimately lost money on that picture during its first release because of World War II. After Bambi's release, we enter a period in history where the Walt Disney Company is doing everything it can to stay afloat during the war. As if the financial hardship wasn't enough, the studio was losing animators and other staff members because they were enlisting in the war, so there was less workforce to make technically masterful films. Therefore, Walt's previous trend of making each film technically better than his previous one is temporarily abandoned. In order to save the company from financial ruin, Walt signed a contract with the United States government. According to this contract, Walt Disney's Burbank studio became a military base to house soldiers. The Walt Disney Company continued making animated shorts, but it was now a war production plant. But what does that mean? 93% of the studio's output from 1942 to 1945 was content the government paid the studio to create, and they didn't make a profit on it. In his book, Disney During World War II, John Baxter also states Walt saw this contract work as his, quote, patriotic duty, uh, even though he did not like the work itself. He missed doing the more creative films. So what does this contract work look like? Uh, You can divide Disney's output during these years into six different categories. Uh, First, there were the training films. These were shorts, animated films, or sequences in larger films that the military would show new recruits as training. There are 170 in total. Each are less than an hour long and are animated extremely cheaply to keep to the studio's budget that the military gave them. With that being said, it still had that Disney quality that grabbed trainees' attention and delivered the message clearly. Of Iwerks even came back to the studio during this time to work on the special visual effects for these films. Uh, For those who don't know, Ub left the studio in 1919 following the whole who created Mickey Mouse controversy. He went on to start his own animation studio with a contract from Pat Powers and later worked on the Looney Tunes. The studio also made a few entertainment shorts about the war. Uh, These shorts would feature characters like Mickey, Donald, Goofy, uh, and the biggest challenge the studio had with these was figuring out how to keep these characters true to character while also putting them in war-like scenarios. Disney also made a lot of military insignia, which featured resurrected characters from old shorts and the Silly Symphonies. Uh, Walt did this as a bit of an homage to his time serving in the First World War. He was a Red Cross ambulance driver when he was 16 and would decorate his ambulance and others in his unit with cartoon drawings. Um, The company made about 1,200 different designs. When it came to non-military media, there was some work on Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland going on. Uh, The films were in development before the war, but were mostly put on hold for the majority of the war years. In general, when it came to larger feature-length films, the company did more with hybrid animation. There were two reasons for this. Animation was expensive, so they could only include it in films as scenes or as sole characters within a live-action setting. Additionally, the studio was losing workers to the military, uh, so they had to make these films with less of a workforce. The final category of Disney's wartime output is propaganda films. 
This is where Saludos Amigos and The Three Caballeros fall. The Department of State reached out to Walt to make the films because the country needed stronger ties with Latin America to ward away Nazi influence. Walt and nearly 20 artists traveled to South America on a goodwill tour. And his visit had a major influence on South America films because he would meet with local artists and filmmakers and can help them with their projects. Baxter said that these films were, quote, more educational or entertaining than propagandistic because he believed they worked to educate the public more than influence their opinions on Latin American culture and people. Uh, I see where he's getting at here, but some of the research that I did sort of challenges this idea. And we'll get to that in a bit. Now, we could leave the history section at that and move on, but this Goodwill tour of South America obviously inspired these two films we're talking about today. So I wanted to take some time to talk about why Disney artists went on the trip, because I feel like it's important when looking at how these films represent Latin America. So to do so, we need to backtrack a bit and discuss how the United States came up with the idea to create these films and send Walt on the Goodwill tour in the first place. So as I mentioned before, in the early 1940s, before the United States entered the Second World War, many were beginning to worry about Nazi influence in South American countries. Cal Ackerman, uh, he was the dean of the journalism school at Columbia University. He traveled to Latin America in 1936 and saw, quote, an alarming acceptance of European totalitarianism, uh, which made him worried about a Nazi takeover. So he publicly encouraged greater Latin American representation in media. So that could be news, literature, movies, anything like that. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was president at the time, and he heard about Ackerman's findings. So he grew worried, feeling the Nazis posed a major threat to U.S. security. So because of that, he began to bring up the Monroe Doctrine a lot. So Harrison, how the Monroe Doctrine was made years before. So why does it? Why is it so important now in this point in history? So... The Monroe Doctrine is named after James Monroe, the former president of the United States, um, because right after the War of 1812, uh, we're beginning to see – you're beginning to see a lot of Latin American colonies begin to push back against Spain and Portugal and really, really like lobby for their own independence and get to it and get to that point with some of them. So – Partly in an effort to enable that to happen uh, and allow for the independence of all these colonies, uh, the United States began to take the stance that, hey, no old world European countries should should mess with anything happening in uh, Central and South America. That's not your sphere of influence. Stay out of it. Um. Britain initially wanted to co-sign this doctrine, but again, the War of 1812 left a bad taste in Amer- in the United States' mouth, and they were like, no, you too. You, you stay out. We don't need you meddling and stuff again. Um, the, the tricky part about the Monroe Doctrine is it's like, okay, well, no old European powers can meddle here, but we're going to keep this all under our sphere of influence. We're allowed to meddle here and kind of steer these countries how we want them to in directions that we want to go. Uh, but no one from old Europe can. So it's on one hand, it is it's it can be seen as an attempt to protect democracy and independence and the will of the people. But on the other hand, it is absolutely just another avenue for uh, American 
colonialism and imperialism. That's that's part of why uh, FDR is leaning on the Monroe Doctrine because in an effort in an attempt to stamp out um, any Nazi th- sympath- sympathies in Latin America, they have to start, you know, propagandizing and drumming up. Uh, Positive feelings towards uh, the Western democracy. Exactly. And that really plays into this next part that I'm going to get into. And that is when FDR decides to create the position, the the office of the coordinator of inter-American affairs in the U.S. Department of State. He appoints Nelson Rockefeller to the position. And I know what you may be thinking, like, wait, that Rockefeller? Why? That makes no sense. Well, his family had interest in South America that dated back to the early 1900s because of oil investments that were primarily in Venezuela. The Rockefellers eventually expanded their involvement to the countries with humanitarian and cultural concerns, and which helped them establish the Rockefeller Foundation in 1913. And sort of to what Harrison was mentioning before, the cultural and humanitarian efforts was mostly to see how much the Nazis had infiltrated these countries by the 1940s. So with this in mind, FDR thinks Nelson Rockefeller is perfect for the job. Rockefeller's first action in the OCIAA is creating the Motion Picture Division with the intention of shaping the common perception of allied nations. <laughs> it's just the propaganda department. No, it's, it's all it is. <laughs> it's, it's, they want people to like, you know, be like, oh, no, they're fine. Latin America's great. So Hollywood, we have to realize, though, Hollywood had up to this point presented a really negative stereotype of Latin Americans. Shocker, I know. Before this point, like any sort of censorship efforts could be thwarted by the power of any specific stars. So Rockefeller wanted film to do better and paint a more favorable image of Latin Americans and the Latin American culture. So the motion picture division hired a Cuban man to the production code administration. His name was Addison Derland, and he headed up a special Latin American section of the PCA. His task was to make sure Hollywood films did not have anything potentially offensive to, quote, Latin sensibilities. Whereas before, the PCA was more concerned about censoring provocative or sexy scenes in films in the 1920s and 30s. Now in the 40s, it would work to create a more favorable image of Latin Americans. So before PCA censoring, Latin Americans in Hollywood film were mostly men. They all dressed the same, spoke in broken, humorously accented English, and were portrayed as too lazy to work hard enough to earn what white people had. They were very sexual and often were thirsting after white women, um, but they lived as bandits in rural villages or small towns. And the few women that were included in these films were dressed and presented as prostitutes. Addison Derlan consulted with Latin American elites and politicians to see what they thought was offensive about the representation of Latin Americans and worked with them to craft a more positive stereotype. The elites and politicians wanted all Latin Americans to be light-skinned, modern, and civilized. So that's what Hollywood agreed to. But the PCA's task was not just to improve Latin American image in American films and changing the attitudes about Latin Americans in the United States. It also had to prevent negative stereotypes of the United States from getting to Latin America. So, for example, movies like The Grapes of Wrath 
and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington were not shown in Latin American cinemas because the PCA said they had negative stereotypes of the United States. But it's also important to note, though, that the United States government and Hollywood weren't just going along with this to improve the image of Latin America in the United States. Hollywood needed Latin America to make up the loss of revenue from European markets being shut off due to World War II. Latin American elites decided what movies came to their countries, so if Hollywood did what they wanted, they'd get their movies shown in more countries. So how does Walt Disney get involved in all this? The OCIAA reached out to a few filmmakers, including Orson Welles, funnily enough, to go down to South America and make movies. When they're doing this, Walt's dealing with the 1941 animator strike, an event that his daughter later said he never really recovered from. This is when the OCIAA reached out to him to go on this goodwill tour. And Disney declined at first, saying, you know, that doesn't really sound like something I'm interested in. I don't really want to meet with people and politicians. But then they were like, well, you could go down and make a movie. And then he was like, okay, yeah, I'll go. That sounds great. So Walt and 15 animators traveled down to South America on a government-sponsored trip. They started in Brazil, and then they went to Argentina. And then the group split into four smaller groups to hit some smaller countries and towns, including Bolivia and Peru. And then everyone reunited in Chile. While the purpose of the trip was to get inspiration for the movies, Really, the trip looked like it was one massive party. Walt went to parties and entertained politicians. He went to outdoor picnics and meals, learned cultural dances, and was cheered and adored everywhere he went. In fact, there's a story that some of the kids in Brazil may not have known who the president at the time was, but they knew who Walt Disney was. In the documentary Walt and El Grupo, Walt just looks like he's having the time of his life in every film and every picture that you see. He just has a huge smile. He's beaming. Literally does not look like he's working there at all. Um, even, and I think it's important to note as well, like he couldn't speak the languages and communicate with the locals. And yet he was still like just, you know, living it up and having a great time. Walt's present was important when it came to warding away Nazi influence in South America, um, at least for the U.S. Department of State, because he would meet with leaders of different countries. German ambassadors were in Brazil and all these different countries at the same time Walt was there, and Brazil's president, Vargas, was negotiating alliances with both countries at the same time. Walt also met with the president and vice president of Argentina. Um, and the documentary noted an event Walt attended in Uruguay. Uh, he was supposed to only stay 10 minutes, ended up staying like an hour. He talked to people, listened to a school orchestra, played music from Snow White. Um, overall, just like, again, had a big, massive party with them. And apparently it went well. So well that the German ambassador was asked to leave the country that same day. By the time Walt got to Chile, he didn't meet with as many dignitaries. Instead, he spent his time talking to filmmakers and artists in the area. He would take some under his wing and help them make creative decisions. Walt became especially close with Jorge Delano, who was 20 years old and studying cinema at the time. When developing the short that eventually would represent Chile in the film Saludos Amigos, Walt asked Jorge to choose the character. And Jorge chose Pedro the Plain. If you watch the segment, then you'll remember that Pedro carries one postcard in his mailbag back home. Well, that postcard is addressed to Jorge, so it was a little Easter egg that Walt left for his friend. Uh, Jorge later tried to make it in film in the United States after the war, but his son said in the documentary Walt and El Grupo that the politics were different, so he had to choose a different field of work. It isn't explained more past that. The documentary also gives a bit of insight into how artists and animators interpreted South America while they were down there. 
Frank Thomas was 28 at the time of the trip, and he was one of Walt's good emotion animators. Thomas notes the colorful colonial towns and the native past and styles presented in the Brazilian architecture. However, in a letter home, he said, quote, I don't know what we can do in the way of a special picture for them. He also said that the people are boisterous and lusty, which isn't good for a, quote, Disney sophisticated picture. It's interesting that Thomas notes this because, as I'll talk about in a second, critics have later noted the oddly sexual energy in these films, more specifically the three caballeros. Author J.P. Tillette says, quote, Disney animation becomes overtly sexualized by depicting the duck as a possible suitor for a real live woman, thus engaging in what Stephen Watts terms libidious shenanigans. Ultimately, Tillette says this goes against the image of family media that Disney has. Thomas later goes on to note that he ended up getting the best understanding of South America, more specifically Rio, from showgirls from the United States that they met. When the group returned from the trip in October 1941, the company was unionized. Walt's brother Roy worked out a deal with union leaders while Walt was gone. But by December, Pearl Harbor happens and the United States is thrust into the Second World War. So the company begins to work on putting these films together while the war is going on. In an interview sometime later, Walt said, quote, We had one purpose. Make a picture that both Americas would like so that in the end, they would like one another better. Now, before we get into the reception of the film, I want to mention a few details about the production. Um, these were facts that I did not know about until I read some books by animation scholar Michael Barrier. His book, Hollywood Cartoons, American Animation in Its Golden Age, goes more into detail than I will and provides some fair interpretations of the films. But here are the highlights that I want to emphasize. So back before he left for South America, Walt agreed to make 12 shorts that highlight South American culture. Walt's team basically wrote the four shorts that you see in Saludos Amigos before their trip in 1941. So really, the trip was just so the artist could get a sense of the, quote, color of South America. But Barrier says that the film could have been made without going to South America and by just staying at the Burbank studio. Additionally, after the trip, the artists who went to South America did not help produce Saludos Amigos when they returned. Instead, they handed off their work to animators and let them have complete control over the picture. However, the live-action footage that you see in the film was taken during the trip. With the three caballeros, the first two shorts about Pablo and the Gauchito were in the batch of shorts that all the Saludos Amigos shorts were in, which is why they kind of have a different vibe from the rest of the film. They made those two parts separately. The Three Caballeros was not originally going to include Mexico because, you know, Mexico isn't in South America. It's considered Central America. But six artists from El Grupo spent four days in Mexico after their trip to South America. And so Walt heard about this and decided, why not just include Mexico in the film as well? So he talked to the OCIAA and they paid for an another three-week trip to Mexico for Disney, his wife, and 10 staff members in 1942. And then staff members took two more trips after this. So The Three Caballeros has been recognized as a technically ambitious film due to its combination of animation and live action and technicolor. And it's kind of cool how they did this. So for the shortened Bahia with Yaya, animators animated the entire scene, and then projected it on a transparent screen from 50 feet away. The actors then had to interact with the animated characters from 8 to 10 feet away, and then the camera was 25 feet away, feet away from the screen and captured it all in film. But how well did this work? 
Reaction to these films differ a bit between the 1940s and today. At the time of its release, Saludos Amigos was a box office success on both continents. A representative in the coordinator's office in Buenos Aires said, quote, The sequences, particularly those dealing with Argentina, amazed the audience with their authenticity, their charm, and their humor. There was little doubt that the Brazilian sequence, and particularly Jose Carioca, was considered even more enjoyable than the Argentine sequences. And this in Buenos Aires is news. It ultimately made a big return. The film cost about $300,000 to make and made around $623,000 back. This encouraged Walt Disney to move ahead with his plans for the second Good Neighbor film, The Three Caballeros. But The Three Caballeros had mixed reviews. The film featured hybrid animation scenes, which critics say showed more flash than substance, more technique than artistry. Critics were also taken aback by Donald Duck's brazen attempts to get with the live-action women, and were surprised it got by the Hayes office. They assumed the presumed innocence of the medium, which is animation, let it slide. Down in Brazil, a newspaper called Anote went so far as to call the Three Caballeros, quote, the best thing Disney has made so far. The positive reception the film received in Brazil and the rest of Latin America caused Disney to cede the rights of the character Jose Carioca to Latin American artists, uh, and this allowed them to give him a more authentic representation. He evolved into a more authentically Brazilian character in physical image and in lived environment, and the character is still beloved today. But people in the United States really did not like this film. The film premiered at Radio City Music Hall, and the hall's manager, who knew Roy Disney, wrote to Nelson Rockefeller to complain about it. In his letter, he said, quote, This one, I feel, will have the most limited appeal. It seems to me that aside from its lack of story and continuity, it is a boisterous bore. Even when it becomes an animated travelogue, it misses the mark because one gets but a confused and sketchy picture of Latin America. Scholar Dale Adams looks at the reception of the Good Neighbor films in the 1940s and says they were, quote, the two most successful interhemispheric ambassadors of goodwill, end quote, because Walt worked very closely with Rockefeller's office to make the films. And he notes that these films were the first time most people in the United States got a glimpse at what life was like in South America. In his article, Saludos Amigos, Hollywood and FDR's Good Neighbor Policy, he says, quote, What was equally impressive and surprising to many contemporary American audiences at the time were the live-action documentary sequences that revealed to many Americans for the first time the modernity and architectural wonders of the large Latin American cities with skyscrapers, automobiles, and surprisingly clean and bustling city streets with fashionably Western-dressed men and women, scenes many Americans associate only with large American and European cities, and certainly not what the prevailing Hollywood image of Latin America had been. End quote. However, the three copieros did not make a good return like Saludos Amigos. Uh, the film ultimately lost the studio $200,000. Walt originally had this deal with RKO Pictures to make a third package film. This one was going to be called Cuban Carnival, but that was shelved because of the three copieros' financial failure. In the documentary, Walt and El Grupo, the people behind the project asked some of their interviewees their opinions on the films, which shows a more modern reception of Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros in South America. An unnamed couple said that the films are fantastic, really good. The man said that he did not like the short about Argentina because it was just about a gaucho who only does a few things. However, cartoonist Guillermo Guerrero thought the short about the gauchos was wonderfully detailed and fun to watch. 
He said they nailed the part about the gauchos eating barbecue with the knife and thought it was clever all around. Graduate history student Juan Carlos Gonzalez said the segment dedicated to Chile, Pedro the Plane, was a bit disappointing because the plane only delivered a letter. The short did not represent Chile's culture. In fact, the short caused cartoonist René Rios to create the character El Condorito, a character that represents the Chilean people. Juan Carlos says that El Condorito is a clear response to, quote, the little consideration Disney gave our country in the film. Additionally, Juan Carlos says that since Disney did not meet with politicians when he was in Chile, his visit is not widely known in the country today. Finally, historian Leticia Pinero thought the films were fantastic, especially the part where Jose teaches Donald how to be Brazilian. She believes it enhances the good qualities of Latin Americans and does a good job selling the image of Brazilians to the United States. So modern-day South American audiences come away from these films either liking them or wishing Disney did a better job showcasing the culture of their country. Countries. JP Tillette notes in recent years, critics have picked up on the fact that Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros are, quote, culturally wrong in its stereotypical treatment of South America and its people, as these films supported unflattering cultural and ethnic cliches. And this is something that we'll get into in our discussion coming up. But I feel like the vast majority of modern U.S. audiences, even Disney fans, don't know that Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros exist. This became especially apparent when Coco came out in 2017, and people were saying it was Disney's first Latin American-inspired film. So, we decided to ask all our guests if they had seen, let alone heard of, these good neighbor films. <laughs> what? Um, I have never heard of either of those. Haven't seen it. And have definitely never seen either of those. Zero opinion on it. I have heard of them. Yes, I've seen both of those. I've not seen either of them. Saludos amigos. Never seen it. I have not heard of it. Never heard of that. I have only heard of it from glancing <laughs> at this list. It sounds familiar. I know of it. Yeah, I've heard of it. I've never seen it. It's one of those that maybe I watched once. I know the name. I feel like I've heard of it because of that time that you were watching all the Disney movies from the beginning. I think I watched it as an infant. The title just sounds familiar. But I do not remember anything about it. I feel like we talked about it in my global media class. They're more Latin, Hispanic based. I feel like it might be a little on the racist side with that title. Seemed very, very racist to me. I always get it confused with Song of the South, but Song of the South is the one that that's been banned. It's with the ducks, right? Is that the one that has the three caballeros? That's with the ducks. I think it has a parrot in it or some kind of bird. Or parrots? Are they parrots? Didn't they have a, like a mouse with a sombrero? Is that the Three Musketeers? version. Am I going crazy right now? Now I can't remember, aside from the fact that it's Donald and his couple of buddies. Never seen it. I've heard of that. I've not seen it. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Oh, I have heard of Three Caballeros. I have not seen it in its entirety. I feel like I remember you talking about some of the, there was some weird stuff that happened. You talked about, too, how kind of it was cultural appropriation. And I, I mean, I'm sure I laughed at it, enjoyed it at the time, but who knows now, right? So last time we talked, you were the only person we talked to who had not only seen, not only heard of, but had seen Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros. Yeah. Which I think I'm is- surprised that not more people have seen it. This is Morgan, who joined us last on our Pinocchio episode. As I just said, she was our only guest who not only had seen Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros, but could remember what the movies were about in detail. Why? Why are you surprised that more people haven't seen yes. it? I don't know. Like, I 
I liked, I was going to say that like, I'm a nineties kid and I watched it, but that's not a nineties movie. Those are both from the forties. So I don't know. I just, I grew up watching it. <laughs> so like, I thought that like everyone had grown up watching it. Right. I guess. It was just part of my childhood. And I actually learned not too long ago that Saludos Amigos is actually the first one. And that Three Caballeros is the second one. For the, for some reason in my head, I was like, oh, that one's goofy than that. So that has to be the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> sound sound reasoning. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, goofy than I, uh, he's not important, you know? <laughs> well, I, I know that, like, personally, my parents were both just, like, big Disney people. Like... Um, I like my aunt went or she worked at Disneyland and like a lot of my family, they're from California. And so a lot of them grew up going to the parks and like really being a part of like Disney culture, Mm -hmm. I guess, if you can call it that. Um, but I don't know like why, like I'm so surprised by that or why, like, I don't think like more people haven't seen those. I think that, I think that like as animation, um, adapts and gets older, people tend to like not look back as much, especially if you're not a person who is like into animated movies and then like you have a kid, you're not necessarily going to be like going for like the oldest thing you can find and showing them that you're just like, Oh, here's, here's the cartoon. Watch it. It's the newest one, Mm -hmm. you know? So I feel like that might play a part into it. But like, I feel like people don't really like, if you don't start watching older animation and like appreciating it at like a younger age, then I think that you're going to be less likely to go back and retrospectively watch them unless you thoroughly make an effort to like i mean i have a ton of friends who have disney plus and like they're really only watching for like mandalorian and you know mulan or like all like the newer stuff you know a lot of my friends don't utilize like the older films which is like the reason why i have disney plus So before we start our discussion, I want to lay down a framework real quick. So as Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros are films about Latin American culture, they fall under the category of global media. And to understand them critically, we need a term to help us out. And I'd like to emphasize that I am not a global media expert. Um, I learned about it a bit in high school and then took one class in college. So that's the background I'm leaning on. In our show notes, I'll list some more resources where you can learn more. So scholars have been analyzing the way in which Western media represents and influences other cultures for years. From what I've learned, there's two eras of scholarship, pre-Cold War and post-Cold War. Pre-Cold War scholarship uses the term cultural imperialism and Post-Cold War scholarship uses the term globalization. Since Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros were made before the Cold War, we're going to discuss what cultural imperialism is. Cultural imperialism as a theory argues audiences across the globe are influenced and affected by media messages from Western industrialized countries because Western countries control the messaging. It's rooted in a perspective that focuses on capital, infrastructure, and political control. The West would often export their media to nation states to impose its socio-cultural values. However, the media exported often lacked in quality and was very Western-focused, not nation-state-focused. And at the end of the day, what we see with cultural imperialism is how, quote, international communication flows, processes, and effects are permeated by power. The West controls it from start to finish. Now, if you take this paragraph I just read and you replace the West with the United States and nation states with Latin American countries, this framework fits almost perfectly with the history section in this episode. 
The United States was trying to assert its power and influence over Latin America with the Good Neighbor films, and as a means to keep Nazi influence out. And with the information we know now about the production of Saludos Amigos, you can see how even though the film is technically about South America, it's not really informed by South America. The studio could have made these films without going on their trip, which to me shows the company's focus was not really on South American representation. It was about making South American culture palatable for people in the United States. Capital also plays a role as well. Because the United States exported these films to South America for capital, because the Walt Disney Studio needed to make up the revenue lost with the war closing off European markets. But we'll discuss the finer details of cultural imperialism in both films in our discussion. So this is the second time that we have watched these films now. Okay, good. You're throwing yourself. You're throwing yourself under the bus. No, I was. Re I was ready to do it. I was ready to come no, out swinging. I was. I'm just gonna be transparent. If you know me or Harrison IRL, then you'll know about the tragedy that happened about a month ago when I lost all the files on my computer. So basically, um, discussions, history segment recordings, from Everything. this on, and then all of our interviews were gone. So this is the second time that Harrison and I have had the pleasure of watching these films. Oh, pleasure is a fun word. So um, I think we should start kind of how we did last time. So we'll do Saludos Amigos, Three Caballeros, and then both. That'll kind of be the goal, understanding that that won't be like the how we stick with it. Um, but I yeah. do think it's important to separate them because I think just lumping them together would still be kind of like, cause they are very different films. Yeah. And they're doing very different things, but they're similar enough and not, there's not enough in, there's not enough distinct material to do an episode on each. Yeah. Like they're so closely related that we might as well do them at the same time because we're going to be talking fluidly about them going back and forth while supposedly talking about one specific film. Yeah. So let's start with Saludos Amigos. God. The, oh, boy. A, yeah. A 42-minute feature. It is a nice, tight 42 minutes. Oh, incredible. But yeah, I think if it was any longer, it'd be very difficult, even more difficult to watch the full thing. Because mm. um, I don't really know what else they could have done with this other than no. add more live action sequences and stuff but even then I like guess. that wouldn't really have because it's difficult because with these films like they're packages like they're a series of shorts strung together so when it comes to like overarching plot <laughs> there isn't one it doesn't exist other than we went on a trip we went on a trip that had no bearing on the actual film well I guess the whole part about um <laughs> them not actually like, you know going on the trip but not to inform like i guess okay the, at the very beginning the narrator was like the artist went to go get a sense of the color of the of the people or whatever which i know means like culture and stuff but literally like in the book i read by barrier he's like yeah no they just went to go figure out the color that they needed like that was basically it so they didn't technically lie in the film. They just weren't 
honest. They they misrepresented what they meant by color. Yes. They they say they say it like we're gonna go figure out like the cult. We're gonna go examine the culture and like the texture of life here. Meanwhile, the biographer the biography you read was like no, they literally needed to know the color scheme. So they so they took a trip. that was funded by the government. So in between co- recording for Bambi and this, Disney Plus started doing something at the beginning of their films that have questionable content. And that's uh, putting up a content warning. And Harrison took a picture of it. So the content warning in front of the Disney Plus version of Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros is an unskippable screen. That says this program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now. Rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it, and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together. Disney is committed to creating stories with inspirational and aspirational themes that reflect the rich diversity of the human experience around the globe. To learn more about how stories have impacted society, visit www.com. Disney.com slash stories matter. Your video will start in 12 seconds. When you think about it, like, that's actually pretty good for a content warning. Like, they were like, yeah, this is wrong. It was wrong. They're not denying that it was wrong back in the day, which I think is a big step as well. They could just be like, because I think, like, the common critique you hear, like, the when people, whenever people bring up things like there's racism in Dumbo or Saludos Amigos in the Three Gabriels is racist. A lot of people, what they'll say is, okay, but like for the time, like this is just kind of what people thought and that's kind of how they justify it. So for the company to actually say, no, at the time, this wasn't okay either. Like Mm -mm. this was never okay. I think that's a pretty, like for Disney, like I was kind of surprised that they said that to be honest. Yeah. And, and it kind of takes the legs out from under certain people. Who are like, oh, well, you know, we have to just judge a movie by the time it was released in. And it was a different time. And so, like, I've heard that defense of Gone with the Wind and of Birth of a Nation. Like, no, these movies are racist now and were racist then. Like, you don't get you don't get to pretend that people of color didn't exist and didn't have a voice back then when they very clearly did. And were just ignored. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's just it's nice to see. It is nice to see the bar put on the floor, but the bar is at least out, you know? Yeah. I also thought, like, it was funny, though, like, with that conversation in mind. So we're going to starting with Saludos Amigos. The very after the the title roll, like the credits roll and the slate rolls, there's a quote from Disney before the film starts. And it's, quote, with sincere appreciation for the country and cooperation shown to us by the artists, the musicians, and our many friends in Latin America. Uh... And I think, like, when you put the two of those together, like, it's very... It's very difficult to see, like... I don't know. I just think it paints Disney in a bad light still. Like, Walt, the man, in a bad light. Because it's fucking like, <laughs> gasp. And the company, I think, like, when you put the content warning there with the quote following it, I don't know. I, but I'd also, like, like to see the company thinking, like, okay, yes, Walt was misinformed as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, because I think Disney media, like, we see Walt kind of shaped as this whims, just this whimsical, creative father figure. 
who is good and, you know, a genius and whatever. Yeah. But also, I don't want to give Disney too much credit for this because, like, it, it took them until the back half of 2020 to put this content warning on any of their stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it took it took another wave of Black Lives Matter stuff for them to really get, like, put their money where their mouth is and put a content warning screen up. Like, the bar is so low. And I do, like... Yeah, the content warning is nice, but we do need to be holding Disney and the company to higher standards than this. And they only do—they're only doing this at a at a certain point. They're only doing this because it, like, one, it's good press. Like, we're talking about it and giving them credit for it. And I'm very vocally anti-Disney, um, but also like, it's profitable to do so mm-hmm. because if people are hearing that, like, oh, Disney Plus has like content warnings and it's like acknowledging that some of their stuff is bad it's like that's good publicity which means like more people probably like sign up for disney plus based on that who like weren't before you know it's it is all ultimately a pr move well, it's and, not and it's they not did done it at, out of the goodness of their heart well and they did it at a safe time and yeah and like they've got they've got a digital platform now so like they can put it in front of everybody they would they don't they didn't do this on the DVD copies of the package films. They didn't do this on the Blu-ray copy of the Aristoc- Aristocats. They didn't do this on the VHS copy of like Salute of Three Caballeros. Like it took them like if you knew it was wrong then and know it's wrong now, like get ahead of it if you really care. Because so many people could not remember what happened in these films, Harrison and I ended up explaining the plots and context to these films a lot. The content warning came up in my discussion with Tasman, which evolved into a broader conversation about the presumed innocence with animation as a medium. This one's from the 40s, and it's... They have, like, a content warning on it. Just... Is it incredibly racist now? (laughs) Yeah, and Donald has a very strong libido in it as well oh god and just wants to get with like the because it's like one of those like it's like mary poppins in that it's like live action animation hybrid right oh okay and so donald anytime donald sees like a live action woman he's like ah hubba hubba like i want to get oh her dear pants. yeah and it's that sounds a bit bugs bunny ish mm-hmm. and it's really which also how was that a kid's film Cartoons back in the day were definitely not meant for kids. Like the the conception of animation as a child's movie almost or like child's medium is something that like developed over time, but it's definitely not what was the intention was back in the day. And especially it's amazing how that's kind of come full circle because there are so many cartoons that have made for adults now, like Rick and Morty and Bob's Burgers and all sorts of other things. Fucking South Park probably started that off, I reckon. The second time watching it around, the things that I focused the most on were, one, the parallel of... the, The way that the film puts the documentary film side of it up against the what that documentary film inspired animation is you know supposedly supposedly because 
And I think, like, you can kind of, like, see at the beginning, because basically the very first sequence when they're at Lake, Lake Titicaca is they have, like, they'll sh- literally, they'll be like, this is what they were looking at, and this is the what the people were drawing when they looked at it, like, specific, like, shot for shot, back to back, kind of like, this is what they see, this is what they draw. And by doing that, you can... If you're looking for it, which I was, because I knew to look for it, you can kind of see, like, the ways in which (laughs) these white people are trying to, are seeing something that is culturally different from them, Mm -hmm. and how you kind of look at it and you're like, ah, like, that's not how I'd see that now, or that's not maybe how I'd draw that. But back in the day, like, I guess, like, specifically kind of how they drew the people, like, the facial features that they chose to exaggerate, um, like, you know, the caricature style of the people that they were, of they, that they were observing. Um, and, like, kind of how it was like, oh, you know, you could kind of see how this would inform, um certain yeah. rep- like stereotypes down the road um, right now of course like i said i was looking for that so that's why i was kind of able to like mm-hmm. notice it and in my head i was like okay well the film's kind of like if if you're looking for this specifically you can kind of see how the film's showing you like this is not from the perspective of the south americans this is from the this is literally like white people <laughs> telling the story of south american culture Mm-hmm. through their interpretation and, yeah and the fact that they juxtapose the documentary live action footage with the cartoons like inner intercut like that is an attempt like i see it as an attempt to lend more credence and act and claim that like the cartoon sections are more accurate than they actually are mm-hmm. especially with like uh the late titicaca and the gaucho goofy sections um Pedro and Watercolors of Brazil are obviously like not, not uh, not realistic depictions of life in South America. Right, right. Um, but the the sections that are more are so like Lake Titicaca and El Gaucho Goofy are set up like tourist advertisements. Yes, because fundamentally that's kind of what they are. They are ads for Latin America, for South America to get Americans on board with like, Hey, this culture is kind of cool. The problem is it does that by exoticizing it, Mm -hmm. by turning it into this fantastical other that is like, Oh, there's some similarities here, but Oh, you're just never going to quite fit in. Um, Like the, the thing that's representative of this whole, of that whole thing for me. And this is across both movies as well is when like, in the Lake Titicaca thing where Donald is like, where the narrator's like, and of course, no tr- no journey is complete until the American tourist tries on the local costume. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> my guy, that's not a costume. It's not. That is clothes that they wear. That is, those are clothes. They're not a costume. Like the, 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 the way people say, like the thing people say about like Native American, uh, dress here in the states of like my culture is not a costume Mm -hmm. it's not it's not and it's it's so bad it's like the most overtly like the the one 
suit thing that struck me as like overtly racist in this. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of like toned down racist stuff, like just the way that everyone like all the Latin American people are drawn and the way they move and just kind of stuff like that. But man, referring to their referring to their clothing style as a costume is just abhorrent and bad and never should have passed muster well and it's interesting how because the in the goofy bit specifically how they take such a long time to describe each article of clothing and they're like this is this is what this item is called and it goes like this and this is what this item goes and it goes like this and this you know it's like they they're you know it's like Yes. It's a bit. It's a bit. It's a bit how many there are. Like they do it with the saddle as well yes. of like how many parts yes. go on there. I'm like and like Oh yeah, I'm no, like, I wrote that down. He said um Oh geez. It was as, Yeah, the the life of the gaucho is simplicity itself as Goofy is carrying this like mound of blankets and mattresses and stuff and then falls over because it's yeah. so much stuff. And you're like Ooh. <laughs> And as if you if you've listened to the other Talk Film Society podcast. I'm on Going Homes Deep. I am a self. I am a professed horse boy, uh, and know a thing or two about horses. Let me tell you, uh, American cowboys also carry a bunch of shit, and like th- saddles are not just this thing that you put on a horse and just go. Like there's a ton of stuff that goes with it, regardless, because you want to be comfy. You want to make sure the horse is comfy. Mm-hmm. You don't want to hurt anybody. And you want to make sure you don't fall off and can keep control of everything and carry all the stuff that you need to carry. Like there's like Western style saddles and tack is a lot of stuff. And it's like not that much different. Like it's very different. But the way that uh, Saludos Amigos portrays it, they're like the equipment of a of an American cowboy with like all the Western gear is not that different from the amount of stuff that uh they portray the gaucho as carrying. It's not that different. The difference is like, we can make it sound funny by listing all of their stuff in a condescending way. And I think that also like highlights a big problem in the Disney structure of like trying to do edutainment stuff like this. Cause ultimately that's what this ends up being. The fact that like the, the inherently slapstick nature of their shorts, especially the ones with Donald and goofy across the board throughout their entire history undermine any potential educational value that these might have because at the end of the day everything is potentially the butt of a joke they are they turn every like they they do turn a lot of the culture stuff in the lake titicaca and gaucho goofy sections and this specifically into punchlines so, but I guess the question I have with that would be, because when I look at that, I just kind of see it as, and again, like looking at this as someone who watched this for the first time in the 20, 21st century, right? But it makes them look more like a fool, I feel like, than the culture itself. My issue with the way that the culture was represented is that the company specifically chose these non-urban spaces to highlight. They specifically chose the, the, quote, traditional dress, the, quote, traditional dance, the, quote, traditional food. You know, the things that, yes, make it look different than the United States, so it's, like, more marketable, I guess, is, like, look at how different it could be. But at the same time, like you said earlier, it's exoticizing these cultures. We're choosing to highlight 
the things that make these cultures look like they are these people live in underdeveloped nations where technology is in advance mm-hmm. like the bridge in the donald bit that yeah. he crosses like it's rickety it's not stable it looks like it's something out of the ancient civilizations that once used to live in these countries right mm-hmm. when i look at donald and goofy and how they interact with the cultures i see it more as just like wow american tourists really suck <laughs> like <laughs> it, for me like i felt like they were more so making fun of the americans or i shouldn't say americans because south america West. is america but the how united states people mm-hmm. try to like <laughs> st- you know how like unaware they are of the cultures and how they can really at the end of the day be extremely disrespectful like the whole right. especially the donald bit you know he like you know he destroys a boat to start that he tries to like tote around he lands in a woman's like dough mix that she's trying to make he destroys pottery he like plays the ex- the quote exotic flute you know and like doesn't know how to play it at first right and it's like the you know it's just like they're they're the bumbling tourists and they they seem like the imposition here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would I could I don't think you're necessarily wrong, but I think that's us wanting to take this take that viewpoint. Um because one, Donald and Goofy are notoriously incompetent in everything, <laughs> just pretty much across the board. And two, I would be willing to buy that a little bit more if Walt and co had gone down there before writing all these scenarios. Like the fact that these were pretty, like the fact that you said these were pretty much all written and ready to go before they went down there. I feel like kind of takes the wind out of that sale. Well, again, I think that, I think that just explains why they chose these specific scenarios Mm -hmm. where the culture is seen as more traditional and exoticized. That's right. why there's not a lot of depth and dimensionality to what we're seeing. Okay. That's kind of how, but that's how I'm taking it, right? Like, I mean, yeah, and you're not wrong, but there, there's also just, there's a tendency among Western nations to look at any native people and just assume they're less than, right? Mm-hmm. And it goes doubly so for anything in the global south, which like South America, like it, it's below the equator. It's the global south. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just this like, like, and the and like the fact that the the like you said the urban centers are just kind of given like lip service in the um in this in Saludos Amigos anyways mm-hmm. are given lip service in the documentary sections of like oh yes there's government here mm-hmm. oh there's there's the center of cult uh, there's um Buenos Aires and Rio like they exist they're culture hubs yada 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 but there's millions of untapped pampas in the Argentine mm-hmm. which. Every time they say the Argentine just makes me feel weird. Yeah. Like, like that is some old timey imperialist nonsense. Uh, and I don't know, just it's hard to articulate exactly how everything rubs me the wrong way because it's just like, it's like, oh, hey, you want to watch this movie and feel uncomfortable? Let's just throw you in a, let's throw you in a pit of, uh, of racist thorns like it's just like everywhere i turn there's a pro there is something problematic here mm-hmm. like whether it be just whether it be 
Donald being specifically the the crappy tourist, the way they draw people, uh, just the fact that they do exoticize the rural culture, the rural aspects of this way more, and the native cultures way more. It's it's just uh, this movie's a mess. <laughs> well, and I guess like like I said before, I'm looking at this as someone who knows that this isn't an accurate representation of South America, right? Yeah. But like, you know, I mentioned in the history section, for most people in the United States, this was the first time they saw what those countries looked like. You know, this is something like the one thing, you know, this is probably the like one of the very earliest uh, representations of these countries that are forming their thoughts and knowledge of the countries, right? So when you look at it through that lens, like the exotic, the exoticizing is more problematic. It, it always is problematic, yes. but it it like when you take into the fact that most people are unaware of the reality, it just it does make it more yeah problematic. Yes, the fact that someone's first exposure to Nate, like descendants of the Incan cult empire, like this, like Incan, like culture, was this, is upsetting, mm-hmm. and just someone, someone learned what a gaucho was from this, and just kind of t- like probably kind of took it as rote. Like think about all the stuff we as kids watched, and we're just kind of like, yeah, this seems fair. This seems right. I believe that Walt Disney told me it's true. Why would I have any reason to disbelieve it? Mm-hmm. Disney knows what's up. Like that probably had a knock on effect on like how a lot of people view all, like not even just got like that one, not even just Argentinian life, but just kind of like, oh, all South American life is like this without recognizing that there's like distinct pockets, distinct cultures in each country. I've recently gone back and rewatched Saludos Amigos like a couple weeks ago. Mm. Um, it is a lot less PC than Three Caballeros is, and that's saying a little something. <laughs> Go into that a bit more. Yeah, like, so what did you notice about when you're on your most recent watch through? Um, I definitely, uh, Saludos Amigos is definitely like a whitewashed version of Latin American culture. Which I feel like you could say for like a lot of Disney movies that talk about like other cultures, but I think this one specifically, it was very like, oh, okay, come on, guys, like we're getting on a plane and we're gonna go look at these crazy people in Latin America, and like that's the vibe of Saludos Amigos, and I don't remember that because like there's a lot of um, like mini stories within it, which I think is like one of the reasons why I really liked this, these movies growing up was because I had like a very short attention span. And so I was like, okay, I need on to the next thing. And so I think it's easy to not see how non-PC it is because like you go from that to like, oh, look at this cute little cartoon about a plane though. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about that. This plane that like almost dies and tra- <laughs> like it's really traumatic. Right. Um, but yeah, like it's just kind of like they get on this like Pan Am fl- flight and they just do this like tour of Latin America and I think one of the things that really stuck out to me, like, they saw this kid, like, playing with a flute, right? 
a normal looking flute. Like, I mean, I say normal, but what's like, anything can be normal, but it's just, it looks like a flute. And I know that this isn't the forties anymore, but I'm pretty sure they knew what flutes were back in the forties. Um, and the narrator goes, look at that child. What an exotic instrument he has there. <laughs> And I was like, is it really that exotic? Like, I don't really, I think that it, you, you're only saying it's exotic because, see, the brown child in Latin America. Yeah. You know, it's just a normal flute. Like, I don't know, like, it's not even, like, an interesting-looking flute. Right. And that's the whole vibe of Saludos Amigos. Like, it's very, like, wow, look at these people. Aren't they crazy? Oh, they walk this way and that way. Like, that's how they talk in the whole, that's how the narrator talks. Is what I noticed on the most recent watch, which I, maybe, like, I can't remember, like, when I'd watched it before. I don't know if maybe I was drunk the last time I had watched it before. But, like, I just don't remember. It's very possible. <laughs> Happens. Um, but I don't remember yeah. it being so, like, so whitewashed you know and on this last watch through i was like wow i was like oh that's not okay and maybe i'm just looking at it through 2020 eyes and i'm like oh yeah i see that i know it now 100 percent. i see it i'm calling it <laughs> you know right and i think going off on your story with the flute i think the best the, the, the part that got me about that scene was when the little boy plays the flute, you know, and then the, his donkey, I think it is, dances. And then Donald's like, uh-uh, let me show you how it's done. And he, <laughs> yeah. like, grabs the flute and starts, like, going ham on the flute. And it's like, it shows, like, oh, wow, he's a more skilled flute player, even though the narrator <laughs> just told us this exotic instrument is native to this country. So, like, what's that saying? You know, it has, like, this whole, like, imperialist yeah. vibe and the whole, like... United totally. States is the, you know, we know what's best. You know, we know how to do mm -hmm. things better than anyone else because right. we are more advanced, blah, blah, blah. But Well, and there's another. Oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. go ahead. I, I didn't have anything else to say. Oh, there's another scene where, like, Donald's, like, taking a picture of this, like, mom and, like, son. And then, like, the kid pops up and, like, has a camera and takes a picture of Donald. And Donald's just, like, shocked that the child has technology. Like, he's just like, whoa, they have technology here? And it's like, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just another country. Like, But yeah, there is a lot of that where even, like, in it, where, like, Donald will do something or, like, one of the animators, because I think that's who's on the plane are animators. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's, mm -hmm. like, the whole synopsis is that, like, you know, they're drawing and, like, they're getting creative ideas from this other culture and like there's multiple times i can't like think of like another one right now but where they'll be like talking about something that's done in latin america and they're like well look at this we do this here like this and it's so much better kind of you know that's like that's the overall shtick of this film well i'll just say but, your narrator impersonation is spot on oh thank you yeah <laughs> your trans your transatlantic accent's not bad at all <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. If you ever need me to dub anything, I got you. And, especially, and I think that's especially true when you have segments like Pedro, where all of Chile is now represented by a plane. Bye. And don't get me wrong. As its own, like it is, if you, if you just look at it, you're like, oh, it's a cute, plain story that you feel for, like, emotional, like, connection, blah, 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 blah. But then when you, again, think about how the people in the country felt when they saw the film and they were like, oh, really, this is the representation our country gets. 
is a plane who delivered one one postcard. <laughs> one postcard one time and got scared of a mountain. Yes. To be fair, that mountain's very scary. It is very scary with the lightning and it's he's just mad. He just looks mm-hmm. mad. That mountain all the time. that mountain rules. That mountain's scary. I wonder if he's brothers with um what's his face? Chernabog. <laughs> to to take this in a completely different direction and get off of the cultural imperialism train uh for a second or maybe permanently we'll see how this goes um the i had a moment when when they were introducing pedro and his uh mom dad mom plane and dad plane Mm mm-hmm where I I started thinking about the implications of what was happening um, and got a little bit too close to puzzling out the Cars world, but with these planes, because um, they were like, this is a mail plane. I'm like, and I didn't have the subtitles on the first time I watched this. I'm like, okay, they're going to deliver the mail. And then this is his mom. She's a female plane. I'm like, wait, the planes are gendered? Excuse me? And then he's going to school and he, they're like, he learned skywriting. I'm like, okay, that's a funny joke. Arithmetic. Okay, they can count. That's cool. Anatomy. And there was a plane skeleton. The planes have bones. <laughs> See, I, I guess for me, I was just kind of like, oh yeah, like that is how, and like you know, it's the 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 frame for the plane that the the engineers make, right? Yeah, because it has to have that to like keep all everything together at the end of the day. They gotta have something to build upon. It's not just... But bones? (laughs) They put bones in him. (laughs) Like, I understand you call the inner frame of a structure that you're building the skeleton. I get it. That is is an engineering and architectural thing that happens. Yes. But bones... I don't know. Were were they actually bones, though? I'm pretty sure they were bones. Or was it just like... (laughs) It looked like bones like they had the the fuel the refuel thing on the back of it that some planes have uh that was bone <laughs> there was like multiple segments of it let me pull up salutus amigos because i'm on my computer and can just do it and i'll just i'll skim through because i need i need to know i need to know uh, isn't there like a couple movies that are like cars but with planes like didn't that happen yes, at some it's point planes yes that's why i thought there's like two of them right 1308 it had both you got bones in them that's so weird it's the, like they look like bones alex they're just bones <laughs> i am i'm gonna post a, i'm posting the screenshot in the in the skype chat right now you need to see this right. they put bones in them okay oh they are bones <laughs> they put bones in my what boy what the heck the tail is what gets me. It's like, yeah. what is, like, planes have tails? I think that's the the in-air refueling thing. Oh. But, like, but like a lot of the time on, like, military planes, those are in the front. And it's, it's a whole thing. I don't know. I don't know why he has a tail. But it's bones. <laughs> ah. They put bones in my boy. They put bones in. 
I guess it just doesn't strike me as as weird. I'm just kind of like, okay, whatever, Disney. Like, it's fine. I, I don't know. I also watched this at work, so <laughs> it might have just hit weird. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. We'll, po- we'll post the picture of the bones on, on, on oh, Twitter. Yeah. Yes, we will. It'll be in the on Twitter, in our show notes. It'll go everywhere. <laughs> they put bones in them. The timestamp the timestamp is thirteen oh eight. Anything else about this one? Uh yeah, I wanna I wanna say uh watercolors of Brazil fucking rules. Uh, it's, it's so good. good. It's, it's still, still good. good. It's, it's it's the greatest. It's it was so good, good on the first time, it was good on the second time. It still holds up. I, I am here for any Fantasia esque bits forever and always, and it's great. It's great. They need more of this, please. It's pretty and I think it's the best short of the film. Yes, absolutely. Yep. And it's also, it's a great, it's a great introduction of Jose. Like, Jose rolls oh, yeah. in and is just, like, I will say, um, and this will be a good jump, this will be a good way to segue into Three Caballeros. Mm-hmm. I like Jose and I like Panchito a whole bunch. Really? I like, I like them. I don't think they are good representations of their culture, especially not Panchito. Yes. Um, but I think they're fun. I think they're charming. Uh, and I like the dynamic the three of them have, which makes the DuckTales uh, reboot episode where they go to I'm blanking right now, but they go to they go on vacation somewhere in uh, Latin America and r- accidentally run into Jose and Panchito and end up having to do like they do like a reunion bit and it's, it's good and it's fun. And they like interrogate why no, like they come up with a in lore DuckTales reason for why no one's ever heard of the three caballeros. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Cause they, they like Huey, Dewey and Louie are like, we didn't know you were in a band. And he's like, yeah, we don't talk about it much. <laughs> The DuckTales episode came up a lot in our interviews. SC heard about it through the grapevine and thought it was a sequel. I mean, we watched it a lot when I was a kid, but now I can't remember, aside from the fact that it's Donald and his two couple of buddies. Um, and I know, I know they had some sequel, like it's like a year or two ago. It's on Disney+. Plus. I have not um, watched the original in a good, like, 25 years. Um, the, the three caballeros show up in the new DuckTales series. But they I'm not do. Sure yeah, I'm not, I'm not... I didn't know there was a sequel. That... Yeah, they that's, get, an, that's they, a decision. They get like <laughs> they get they get like powers or something. Um, I've seen like screenshots oh. from it, and people and I'm in some Disney groups. They're like, "Yeah, guys, no one ever watches this, but it's really good." And so it's on my list, you know, of of Disney sequels to to watch. I searched around and could not find any evidence of a Three Caballero sequel movie. Uh, however, the trio has appeared in Disney media a lot since 2001. Jose and Panchito appeared in a 2001 episode of The House of Mouse called The Three Caballeros. In 2015, they also make an appearance in Mickey Mouse episode Feliz Cumpleaños and perform at Mickey's birthday. The pair later appeared in the Mickey and the Road Star Racers episode Mickey's Perfecto Day. The DuckTales episode mentioned here aired in 2017. And in 2018, a new show called Legend of the Three Caballeros was produced by Disney Interactive and was first released on the Disney Life app in the Philippines. There were 13 episodes total, and you can watch the series right now on Disney+. But out of all these offshoots, the DuckTales episode definitely came up the most. Uh, my name's Sam Van Heeren. Uh, I'm from Madison, Wisconsin. I am associate editor at Talk Film Society. 
uh, and host of Keanu Believe It, the Keanu Reeves retrospective podcast over there. Uh, also host a couple other podcasts with uh, some guy named Harrison. When I'm not doing stuff for Talk Film Society, I'm a student for graphic in graphic design. What are your What are your thoughts on how Ducktales handled uh, the the Three Caballeros? Uh, I mean, again, not knowing anything specific about them before that, that's one of my favorite episodes. I think it's great. I think the way the almost the way the uh, the kids react to their uh, you know Donald singing. Uh, almost feels like a slight reference to like the fact that people and the way they were shocked that their uncle Donald was part of a band is the way I was shocked to learn that this movie existed. For the most part, the people we interviewed who had some vague memory or understanding of Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros remembered three birds. Uh, These are obviously Donald, Jose Carioca, and Panchito. But as we heard in the compilation earlier this episode, a lot of people really did not remember these characters, just that there was some sort of animal in a hat. Lindsay B. was one of our guests with this vague memory, and I think she puts the inability to remember more specifics into words well. I remember, like, I, I can look at the characters and remember them and remember vague parts of the story, but it was never one of those movies that I would watch repeatedly as a child. What sticks out to you? Um, didn't they have a, like a mouse with a sombrero as part of the Three Caballeros, or is this a different one? Am I going crazy right now? There's a Looney Tune who's the mouse with the hat. Oh my god, am I confusing? <laughs> you are thinking of Speedy Gonzalez. Aha! See, um, I do remember the Three Caballeros, but there is, I, it's one of those, I think that what is happening with that is that it's so vague to me and not very um, memorable that it's one of those that blends in with other genres of, of animation. Jose Carioca and Panchito narrate the stories of their respective countries in the Three Caballeros, as opposed to a white man from the United States, as we see in Saludos Amigos. And for Morgan, that was a good thing. But then you see the change, which is only two years later, you see the shift into um, Three Caballeros, where the narrator is now a Latin American man. And it's not just, it's not Donald being a tourist and being like effing people's faces. It's his friends, Pancito and Jose, showing him around Latin America. And so I think it's interesting, like how, like from like 1942 to 1944, they were like, hmm, maybe we should shift to where we're not just like, like pointing at these people and actually like have them show us the culture. I think I, again, like I said, like with Saludos Amigos also, I really like those formats of Disney films where it's more of kind of like an anthology of different stories. And I really love that about Three Caballeros as well. Um, Especially since like with Three Caballeros, they stay like a little bit more with the original plot line of the story of like Donald and his friends going around Latin America where in Saludos Amigos it's kind of like oh this is happening but like let's go look at this other crazy thing happening all the way over here but with um, Three Caballeros they kind of just like it's just Jose and Pancito talking about different aspects of their culture so that little story will then become an animation and then you come back to the three of them like talking about it and it seems like it's really cool because like it is able to like open a dialogue with them. They have different perspectives, mm-hmm. you know, but they, there's like a little bit of a problem. Cause like they're kind of fighting sometimes, but 
I think that even though they're very obscure characters, I think that they've been able to stand the length of time. Um, whenever I worked at Disneyland, um, we only brought them out for Christmas because, like, they were, like, the Feliz Navidad mm. characters, mm. you know? Um, because, you know, got to be inclusive, so we bring back the obscure characters for that. Um, and there were huge lines for them every time. Like, so I really feel like the care, and I like the characters growing up and I, there's even like a ride, um, in Disney world where they're featured mm. and where like, um, it's like in like the Mexico segment of, um, Epcot, you know? So like, I mean, they're very lasting characters and I think they're really interesting and they give a different voice to Disney that like at the time probably didn't have a ton of a voice, you know, I don't really feel like there were like a ton of Latin American characters, even today, mm-hmm. there aren't like a ton of Latin American characters and like most of them are animals <laughs> like birds, you know, Right. but you have them and then you have Coco and that's pretty much it. I'm sure there are a few others, but no, I think that's actually it. Oh, and then there's um, Eleanor of Avalor, I think, is one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a newer. She's a Disney, uh, Playhouse Disney, or whatever they call their Playhouse Disney now. Yeah, yeah. I'm old. <laughs> I know. I don't know what it would... I think it's just Disney Junior, I think is what, it's, oh, okay. what it it's, is now. It's Disney. It, Disney Junior is their kid's vertical. Yeah, that's what I thought. Got it. So Morgan sees Jose and Panchito as mostly positive representations of Latin American culture. Emphasis on mostly... But Diana had a different take on these characters, and funnily enough, she mentions the same Mexico attraction in Epcot that Morgan talked about in her interview. So I'm Diana Williams. I am from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I still live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I also work for a couple of other small organizations around Tulsa that do like theater and do diversity and inclusion stuff, which is really cool. And um, my favorite color is teal. Uh, even as a child, like watching it it was like I had uh friends growing up who were of like different races of different cultures of different everything and it just seemed like it was kind of appropriation and like not really appropriation exploitation is probably the best word um that I could use to describe that so I didn't enjoy them when I was a kid that's why I've only seen them like once and you could tell as a kid Mm -hmm. too yeah what um do any images from the film stick out to you or any specific scenes I just, I just remember, I remember them, like, not vividly. I just remember thinking, like, this doesn't look right, and this doesn't look like my friend, and this doesn't look like his culture, I guess. That's, like, the first thing that came to my mind. What actually comes to my mind when you say those is the, um, it's the Mexico part of Epcot that comes up. Because I've been to Disney World, I think I counted it today, I think I've been, like, probably 10 times, 10, 15 times. So I think my count was like like 12 or something. Um, so when I was little, you go into like this like big like Aztec pyramid, right? And there's like a restaurant and there's like a little boat ride that you can go around. And they used to have the um, Caballeros like poster and they would have like meet and greets with them and stuff like that. And then I just remember like seeing it and like people like being really uncomfortable with it and it was just like it made me uncomfortable like being there because it was like this the it's kind of like this looming thing it just didn't seem right that they made that because it didn't feel like they like actually went into like the reason like if you look at like movies now like 
they actually research a lot of the cultures. They're trying to like kind of like redeem themselves because I don't know, like you guys have heard a song of the South, correct? I've also seen that one. That one is very racist. That one is very awful. Like it is not, and they can't, you can't even find it on Disney Plus where they claim to have every single Disney movie or Disney animated feature. Um, They don't have it on there. We have it on VHS. That's the only reason that I've seen it. But now I think with the way the world is going, Disney's trying to like kind of change their like image and actually like research. Like if you've seen Frozen 2, they actually did a lot of research into the native cultures of um, Norway and like, uh, yeah, Nordic like culture and like uh, Nordic native culture and trying to kind of not, trying to present it in a way that people can learn from it. And I think, I think they're trying to cover those up. Like, the really bad racist ones because it was the time at the time like it seemed like I guess a good idea to whoever was animating it and well Disney um but yeah I don't I don't agree with it at all and that's actually what makes me really believe some of those conspiracy theories about Disney being a racist Disney being a Nazi and stuff like that like I don't believe that he was like a Nazi but I do like, it makes me think of those. In our earlier compilation, Kaylee mentioned learning about the three caballeros in her global media class in college. She said that from what she remembers of the discussion, the class talked about the stereotypical way Mexican and Brazilian cultures were represented in the film through the characters. I think we talked about, too, how kind of it was cultural appropriation representation at that time, how it was an accurate representation as Disney was just trying to get movies out as much as they could everywhere they could. It was just the, from what, I think we watched just like the trailer for it. Um, It was just the characters, like they're very stereotypical, like Hispanic representations. Like there was no variety. It was just like, like accuracy is just how the media like portrayed them like Disney just adopted those very stereotypical ideas into those characters. I want to look something up real quick. Okay. So I was wondering, so basically like in the Dumbo episode, we talked about how um, a white guy vo- voiced the crow and did like a black, like a black guy voice, you know, like the whole like black, fr- yeah. you know, audio black face. I was wondering if Jose and Panchito were voiced by white people <laughs> or not. That's fair. That's but, a, that's a good question. So basically Jose was voiced by a man named Jose o- Oliveira. He was born in Brazil. So good job there. And then Panchito mm-hmm. was voiced by an actor. He's Mexican American. Yep. His name is Joaquin Garay. Yep. I'm probably butchering that name. Yep. Um, and yeah, he's Mexican-American actor and singer. So they didn't just get white dudes. Yes. They actually got people from... So, like, better than Saludos Amigos, where we had yeah. the white guy narrator talking about, you know, these cultures. It's like mm-hmm. there's actually these men who are... You know they they casted they casted the roles appropriately. Yeah, I, and the only white guy narrators that we get are talking about birds, and it's the it, it it's it's nice that they're only talking about birds uh, instead of just like white guy narrating over all the Latin American stuff. And I will say, like in Saludos Amigos, I did appreciate how they had Jose speak Portuguese um, because you know he's from Brazil, so why would wouldn't he? 
And I also, and this might just be me watching it, but I thought that when he was speaking English, it was like, it wasn't like the bro, like, you know, it was nice to see it not as like the super broken, like difficult to understand English. Like I could understand him better than I could understand Donald, like throughout the whole film. Yeah. (laughs) Which, and I think like good, like good on them for doing that. And Donald, again, transitioning to Three Caballeros, his Spanish and Portuguese reading gets a lot better in the, in, in that film. Yeah. Because <laughs> we go from, I'm not even going to do it, but you know how bad it was. Like <laughs> He wasn't even saying the letters that were on the card. He was just making yeah. stuff up. Um, but I like, did... Like I, most white people who try and read a foreign language, they just put in random letters. It's fine. But I will say, in Saludos Amigos, I did like jose and his character in it and i thought that and it, it, just like i liked the watercolors of brazil segment mm-hmm. moving on uh, to the three caballeros uh, i so the first thing i want to bring up with this because it d- wasn't something that struck me on the first watch but it definitely struck me on the second watch and became a lot more clear when I did that last minute research last night. But one interesting thing about it is you really do get a taste of all the different animation styles that the Walt Disney Company has attempted up to this point in their animation studios, right? So what do we have? In the first two segments, which is um, Pablo the Penguin and the Gauchito, like I said before, they were made in the batch that was with all the Saludos Amigos films, right? Uh, the shorts, I should say. So yeah. what you see is kind of this stripped down cartoony style of animation that the Disney company does. So the same school that Dumbo comes from, right? It's very basic. Um, there's still this kind of emphasis on connecting to these characters emotionally, even if artistically it's not as masterful. We also um, get little bits of Disney formalism, I think, in the two scenes. Um, There's just two shorts. It's when um, Jose introduces Bahia for the first time before they go meet Yaya. You see these, like, picturesque landscapes of Bahia and the colors and the way that the camera moves through these multi-plane shots. Like, you get little bits of that there. And then they do another kind of similar one before they go to Mexico when Panchito is at first introducing Mexico, right? But it's not as, it's not as much, but it's kind of still in that still, for, it's, it falls under that formalism umbrella, I would argue. You have the animation um, live action hybrid that you start seeing with um, the Yaya scene. And then when the, um, the three caballeros go to, all the different places in Mexico. And then I think like toward the end, like that back half is just straight up Fantasia. Like the, like the really weird bits of Fantasia. It is, it is is aggressive Fantasia. It is aggressive Fantasia. Fantasia is not a particularly aggressive movie, except in like what, except for the rite of spring with the dinosaurs. And that's really aggressive. Um, But this is still just like, nah, I'm just going to go up. We're going to make you question why you're here. Yes. We're going to make you question your sanity. Yes. Like I, I like watching like, it might've just been the fact that it was super late. And I was like 
starting to lose 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 it by the time I got to Donald's Surreal Reverie last night, or should I say this morning? Uh, um, I was just like, what is life? Is this what I'm destined to do for the rest of my existence? Just watch this. <laughs> like it, it almost sent me in an existential crisis. Donald's Surreal Reverie, which is uh, what that final section is called, is just insanity. It's bonkers. It's insane. It's like the part where it hit me where I was like, oh my gosh, where did this film take, this film took a turn. Well, first it kind of hits you um, when they're about to introduce Panchito and we see essence of um, the soundtrack from Fantasia with the guitar. You get like a taste for it there, right? And you're kind of like, that's when I, at at first I was kind of like, what the heck am I watching? I don't remember this from the last time I watched this. I must have like blacked out because I did not remember that. But then like, I rec- I realized as soon as um the woman turned into a flower and Donald fell into like the lust haze I was like I didn't realize what was going on then all of a sudden I was like oh my gosh why is this movie so weird and horny like where did we where did we take this turn because at first we were in Mexico chasing girls and there was live action people which by the way fun fact learned this okay girls in that beach scene are all from the United States. They filmed that in the parking are. lot at Burb at the Burbank studio. Oh, of course they did. And they took white people and did that scene. Of course they did. I will say that scene remains technically impressive kind of across the board with like the way they're managing sight lines between the women and Donald, mm-hmm. the way they're handling the way Donald interacts with the physical objects um, and the water. Obviously it would have been way too expensive for them to do the full Roger Rabbit thing and have him interact with like the stand as he was supposed to. Mm -hmm. Um, But the way like they're having him interact with the blanket as they're tossing him up and down Um, the way like he falls into the water and like the splash is realistic. Like that stuff's great. The technically super impressive. All the hybrid animation stuff in this is really cool, really technically competent. Um, and then I also just really loved, like, the animation style mm-hmm. throughout uh, Three Caballeros. Like, there's, like, multiple times where they'll have, like, the superimposed animation with live-action people. Um, like, you see, like, in Snow White. Um, and that it looks beautiful. Definitely a really good watch. Recommend it. <laughs> where is that in Snow White? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. What are you, what are you, what, where are you seeing that? Wait, which one? The superimposed animation with the... What you just said, like, you said... Oh, not with Snow White. It's like Snow White. So... Again, what do you mean? Yeah, like... Oh, just, how oh, so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Snow White. I am thinking of Mary Poppins. Oh! Thank, okay. That makes a lot more okay. sense. Because we're <laughs> like, bad. wait, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, we're like... Huh? <laughs> I was thinking of a really cheery lady. <laughs> and my brain went Snow White. <laughs> Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> I was like, why are they so confused by this? Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. It's all yeah. good. Yeah. Um, not Snow White. Not Still Snow waking White. up. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So like, I think like there's like this one time where like, um, what's his name? Oh, Pancito is like talking about Brazil and he's like talking about the culture and he takes Donald into Brazil, which starts off animated and then it becomes like half animated 
past right. real life. And then this like woman comes in and is dancing and it's this like whole musical number with like really beautiful animation. Like, like it kind of like goes between like the dancing of like the different people and then the dancing will switch to animation. Donald's a sex creep in this movie. He's and it's the, total. He's he's a pervert. He's the worst. It's like it's it w- it doesn't help that he's so sexually charged, but the fact that he almost he, how aggressive he is too, and how yeah. angry he gets when people stand in his way, like just scream red flags across yes. the board. Yes. Uh, and uh, uh, this is. This is my this is my reservation for saying that I like Jose and Panchito in this. Um, when they're when they're doing the Three Caballeros <laughs> song, uh, and they're like, uh, "When any pretty when lady each Latin says baby says yes, no yes, or maybe, no or maybe, it's, it's every, every man, man for, for himself." himself. Yeah, <laughs> like mm, no, if she says no, you you walk away. Yeah. you walk away. Um, right. and that also plays up the stereotype of sexually aggressive Latin men. Yeah, so. That's not good. No. Uh, no. And like when, uh, like during the Bahia scene sequence, when uh, Donald is making moves on uh, Yaya, and like he keeps pushing Jose aside, and Jose looks at the camera and goes, "Ah, oh, man, he moves quick, don't he?" And like wag- waggles his eyebrow at the camera. I'm like, "Do not implicate me, the viewer, in your in your perversions." Please and thank you. Yeah, I'm not taking part in this. I'm not involved. <laughs> this is not what I want to do. And I thought it was interesting. Also, like, one of the stereotypes of Latin American men that the OCIA was challenged to change was that, you know, Latin men were always lusting after white women. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting how the luster in this was a duck a duck who stands in basically for a white man and that he was lusting after the latin american women like that inversion Mm -hmm. it's like ah i see what we're doing here which then i guess like which really doesn't help like i know they were trying to like the the quote intention i say with intense quotes was to make a better representation of Latin American people. But really what we see here is like, they're not really changing that at all. Right. You know, they like, instead of like the men being super, super lusty, they're making the women quote irresistible. So like, you know, Donald just, and I don't say this because I believe it. I am. This is infused with like disapproval. But Donald just can't freaking help himself, apparently. <laughs> apparently not. And it's not and, good. Yeah. And like the fact that like this is trying to the fact that they want to kick but like do a better representation, supposedly, of all of the cultures on display. Everywhere they go is a giant party. Yeah. It's just parties all the time, except for the one segment where they're like uh, the Los Posadas section where it's the the real it's this oh god this section is so pretty the the christmas thing yes. where all the kids are going to the houses and it's like no posada go to the next house no posada go to the next house and that leads into the weird piñata sequence which is also a lot yeah um like that's the only part of this that isn't just a complete balls to the wall party 
Yeah. And that whole sequence, 100% was Mary Blair. Like, you can just tell from the style of it. Like, yeah. you know, so, like, cool for her. But, like, yeah. And I also feel like that was the one part where, kind of going back to what we were talking about with Saludos Amigos, it felt educational, but not in, like, a jokey way. It would, like, like the whole film kind of takes a bit more of, like, a serious tone with that sequence right because you kind of go from the three caballeros where they're like shooting guns and dancing and it's like ah! and then panchito like he becomes a lot more serious when he's narrating that bit right mm-hmm. so it just and then we go back to the craziness with the pinata so it was kind of like a weird not weird but just like a the tone just like took a shift it was very noticeable yeah we haven't really talked about those two opening sequences first before jose gets there I mean, on my end, they were just kind of like, oh, those are nice shorts, you know, like, all right. But like nothing really striking about them. Yeah. I felt like, but I don't know. Like, what did you have any specific thoughts about them? I mean, I, I like, I like birds. I like birds a whole bunch. Um, I also like any jokes that end up coming at the expense of like cameras and film. So the way Donald is playing with the, uh, the film strips at the beginning and like snaps them into place for the camera and just puts them on. That always gets me. Um, I, I like, I, I also just like medium aware humor. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the Araquan rolls in and it's just be bopping around the place, just I love that bird. That bird's not used enough. That bird is not used enough. I totally thought he was in the movie more. Right. But then I watched it the second time and I was like, wait, I guess this is this is it. Because like the way they talk him up makes it sound like he's going to be popping in and out of the whole thing, causing trouble. And he doesn't. He's only relegated that first section and the part where they're going to Bahia. He's the fourth caballero that they cut. Listen, (laughs) don't don't threaten me with a good time. (laughs) I would have I would have loved that. He is so good. He's pure chaos in a th- already chaotic film, but it would have been nice to have someone uh, like I just like me. I really am such a sucker for medium aware comedy and um, antics in stuff like this that you tease. You dangle that in front of me for the first 20 minutes and then take it away forever. I'm going to get angry because <laughs> like the fact that he the the Arquan, walks on the light beam coming from the from the projector to shake Donald's hand and then goes back in is great. I love that. Talking about kind of what we were mentioning before in Saludos Amigos about how all the different cultures of the different countries in South and Latin America are kind of just lumped yeah. together into one overarching culture. I didn't realize that the Gauchito is from Uruguay until the second segment until the second watch through, because I picked up on the fact that the narrator was like a little gauchito from Uruguay. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh wait, this is supposed to be because when I first watched it, I just assumed it was Argentina because that's when in Saludos Amigos, they talked about the gaucho, right? Which is, I think one of the, the, the sticking points um, I have with the fact that they refer to it as, the Argentine Pampas. Mm-hmm. Like they're just kind of lumping that whole area together rather than like, which is weird because the maps they show do very clearly say Argentina. Yes. 
Um, so like referring to it as the Argentine is like that whole area, and they kind of just lump Uruguay in there. Yeah. Um, when Three Caballeros is like, nope, gaut- gauchos and gaucho and gauchitos in Uruguay, like it feels like they they are kind of treating parts of South American culture as interchangeable mm-hmm. and it's a bummer. It is a bummer cuz it's like and especially because it's such a throwaway line. Like if they if cause like I said before I didn't pick up on the fact that he was in Uruguay the first time I watched this. And the only time you'd really know that that segment takes place in Uruguay is if you're at, paying attention and you hear him say it that one time. You know, mm-hmm. any other time like you just would assume like especially if you've watched Saludos Amigos, but even if you haven't and you missed that line, you'd just be like, "Oh, this could take place anywhere in South America, right?" Like, it's just any rural town. <laughs> would this make sense, or like, would this be able to happen? Because it's so generic. So, yeah, in general. I also thought, and I know, like we talked about this the last time, but. <sighs> I don't know, just the fact that we start with a penguin who wants to go be warm and end with Panchito and Jose shoving dynamite up a mechanical bowl and it explodes into fireworks. Like, the fact that that is kind of, like, where we start and end just, like, makes the transitions of this film so... It's connected by a thread. There is bizarre escalation. Yes. In this, like, yes. there, it, it, it's 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 baffling. It is just the ways we get from A to B to C. And I honestly think you could start the film with Bahia and Jose coming in, right? Yeah. And I think that would make for a more cohesive film, like as a unit. I feel like those first two, they just had them already done. So they're yeah. like, we'll just throw them on. <laughs> like, what else yeah. are we going to do with this? But I, I, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I don't I don't know. Maybe stick them in one of the upcoming package films. God knows they need better stuff. So it's like it's just it's just disappointing because it doesn't because yeah. when you look at the film as a whole, I don't think it all works. No, not at all. It It's not cohesive. And especially, like I said, mentioned with all the different animation styles that you see, it's trying to do so many different things. Um, and I guess really that goes to show that like the people working on this film really don't have a grasp of South American and Latin and Mexican culture at the end of the day. Like, you know, it's like they don't have a strong enough understanding or sense of it in order to make something that is cohesive it's just kind of like a bunch of random stuff that they throw together and they're like yeah this works it's also if they just lopped off the penguin and if they hopped if they lopped off pablo the penguin and the gauchito section boom we're under 60 minutes Mm -hmm. we in and out Mm -hmm. it'd be be another saludos amigos length film right uh yeah which would have done way like which would have helped this a Mm -hmm. whole bunch yeah because like oof 71 minutes that's kind of that's kind of a commitment it is and especially when you get to the dream sequence like donald or i don't remember what you called it uh the end with the last the you belong to my heart 
into the reverie at the end. Yes. Like, that is, like, ten minutes. It feels like, like all- forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels like it's way too long. But but I think, like, because what we do, that would make a lot more sense because we start with Jose coming in and we see the romantic c- city of Bahia, you know, and then we kind of go into this yeah, yeah scene. And I just think it would flow better. Like, it would make, mm-hmm. like, you kind of start in, like, a little whimsical, romantic, like, all over the place kind of... <laughs> sequence and then you end with that as well it just i'm going i'm going on about this for too long agree (laughs) agree with what you're saying at the end of the day um any final thoughts about both of these films anything about them in relation to one another i mean in terms of closing thoughts like they were much easier to digest the second time three caviars was still a disaster of a movie but i can understand more now how younger me watched this so much okay um just because there's a lot of stuff going on and it's very flashy Mm -hmm. um just in terms of there's a lot of things moving on screen and it's not and like there's a lot of birds like i said i like birds (laughs) so like it's 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 not good it's not good at all but I can see now how it held my attention as a child. I agree. I think like, well, not because I didn't watch this as a kid, so I don't agree with that, but I agree with, I think because we got over the initial shock (laughs) from the first viewing, you know, watching it a second time really, at least for me, allowed me to kind of understand what was happening more. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just, you know, when I think of things like cultural imperialism or I think of things like, um, you know, how mostly just when it came to how these this South American and Mexican culture are represented, like mm-hmm. what is actually happening here? Like it, it was a little clear to see because yeah. I wasn't just like, oh, my gosh, why are they drawing these people like this? Like, you know, it was I wasn't as it sounds bad, but like because I already knew it was coming I wasn't as outraged. That wasn't right. the one thing that I was, that wasn't the one thing consuming my thoughts. Right. Repeat viewings allow you to be more analytical on material, which is like part of why this project is so good. A lot of people already have a lot of these movies baked into them mm-hmm. from a young age. So like, it'll, but like when you get to the, the weird ones like this and you don't know what to expect, it's hard to gain any traction on first viewings. So, yeah, glad, not glad we lost everything, but I'm (laughs) glad we had to rewatch these and rethink about it. Uh, Peak for next week, though, listeners, neither of us are thrilled about what we have to do next week. So apologies. We got to watch four. Got to watch four movies, one of which is not on Disney Plus. We should put we should we should say this up front now. uh, So people have a week to to go hunting. (laughs) Make Mine Music is not currently streaming on Disney+. Plus. We'll explain you, why. We will explain episode. why next episode. But if you feel the need to watch Make Mine Music in preparation for this next episode, for the next episode, Google, go to the Wikipedia page, look up all the names of all the sections and start Googling. They should all be on YouTube or various other video hosting sites. Do your best. Do your best if or just skip it, you know? Don't skip it. 
there's some important history that will make sense if you watch it. Yeah. But if not, we will we will cover it next week. Best we can. Best we can. I have hope. If this is how the second recording for these movies went, I think we're going to do a great job. <laughs> Absolutely. Got high, high hopes. <laughs> That's all from us this week. You can find our show on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review. Five stars only, of course. You can find me at play underscore champion on Twitter. And you can find me at Alex underscore Isaac on Twitter. You can also follow the show at Dream Deeper Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And you can write into the show at dreamalittledeeperpod at gmail.com. Special thanks to all our guests on this week's episode. You can follow Morgan on Instagram at Modane. You can follow Tasman's book blog at T Books and Tasman on YouTube and Instagram. And you can follow her poetry account at Tasman May Poetry on Instagram. You can find SC on Facebook at SC King Official, and you can watch his film 300 Days to Mars on YouTube. You can follow Sam at Sam Shot First on Twitter and find his podcasts, Keanu Believe It and Going Helms Deep on the Talk Film Society Podcast Network. You can follow Lindsay B at Anime Queen 95 on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow Diana's Theater Company at Blackjack Rewrite Company on Facebook. And you can follow Kaylee at Kaylee underscore Spiel on Instagram. Thank you guys so much for listening this episode. Join us next time for a quadruple feature. We're talking about Make Mine Music, Fun and Fancy Free, Melody Time, and the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Until then, dream on, silly dreamers. <laughs>